mama out there, I know you're listening to me right now, you will get to the point where you can sit on your porch and say, this is such a good day. I love sitting here and drinking my Diet Coke with you. But if your kid's having a hard time in managing their emotions and being able to communicate and not really knowing how to play with other kids, you have to be nearby. Welcome to the Raising Young Children in Wake County podcast, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist, currently a child psychologist, and a former parent of a child in Project's demonstration preschool. I also recently served as the board chair and am currently still serving on the Project Enlightenment Foundation as a board member. The goal of this podcast is to expand services to the young children in Wake County through parent education. In this 10-episode podcast series, we will include interviews with experts in early childhood education, psychology, and pediatrics to discuss topics including the importance of play, managing toddler behavior, language and motor development, kindergarten readiness, how to set up routines, and parent mental wellness. Welcome to episode four. This is an episode where we're going to be talking about supporting the social skills development in preschoolers. And we are welcoming Miss Christine Burkhart today. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Miss Chris is a small town girl from Ridgeway, Virginia, who earned a bachelor degree in child development and family relations from East Carolina University. And for the past 25 years has served families and children with all abilities in North Carolina through many roles, Mm -hmm. from assistant teacher to supervisor. And all of her years teaching, she has found a common denominator, connections. So after seven years of being a special educator with Wake County Public Schools, she started a business building connections to not only help kids, but bring families and communities together in the ways we interact and love one another despite our challenges. Building connections serves families, schools, and communities through advocacy, social skills groups, summer camps, coaching, and training. Miss Chris's dream is to have a Building Connections farm to provide developmentally appropriate and natural social learning experiences through structure and curiosity in social groups, equine therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech-language therapy, psychological services, nutritional services, job coaching, all the things. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> to employ people with disabilities. Yes. So thank you, Miss Chris, for coming. Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah, so... Let's um, kind of go back to the first time you realized the power of social connection. So I have many spots that kind of come up, but the very first one, I think, was probably when I was in second grade. Um, my second grade teacher, Miss East, shout out to Miss East. She was wonderful. And I would say I was one of those spirited children where I talked a lot. I was interested in a lot of things. I couldn't keep my body still. Um, But she saw something in me that was different than all my other teachers that I kept getting ins in and U's in. It was like E-S-N-U, meaning like proficient, S meaning okay. So I'd always get an N and a U and like, you know, social skills, work habits. Or conduct. Conduct. Mm -hmm. My kindergarten first grade teacher had said, you know, please talk to Chris about not talking so much and all the things. But my second grade teacher, Miss East, was so kind and so helpful. And I think she saw that in me. I was always talking to my friends and wanting to help them with either their work 
or their relationships or <laughs> something. And she would save her teacher guides for me and would pull me to the side and ask me about soccer and would talk to me about, you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so the fact that she was interested in me despite all of my shortcomings and would encourage me using those really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be that kind of person like Miss East. So that was one. And then I would say the second one, meaning um, you didn't ask for two, but I'm giving you two, is my with my son, who was a preemie. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get to hold him for a while. So when I got to hold him, I knew that that was a very kind of special connection there. And then the last one, just kidding, I'm giving you three, um, was actually pretty recent. About two years ago, I had two students um, who had been asked to leave their preschools Mm -hmm. because they were neurodiverse learners. And so I had created during COVID a place and space for these kids to come Mm -hmm. and play and help them kind of learn how to navigate this crazy world that we live in, communicate, regulate, all those things. And so I'd been working with them for probably about two months. And this one student, we'll call him Jackson, hit uh, this other student and we'll call him Brady. Okay. So Jackson hit Brady and uh, Brady was very upset, very angry and would show it in with his body and with his words. And Jackson, who is also very um, spirited and sometimes can have that reaction, walks over to Brady and starts breathing and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I'm, uh, you, you know, I didn't mean to do that. And here I am watching this unfold, right? Because mm-hmm. I had taught them these things, but watching this unfold and how they're doing this together independently. And Brady said, you really made me angry. And Jackson said, well, I thought that you were going to hurt me, so that's why I did it to you first. But I didn't mean to, but you're angry. When I'm angry, sometimes I take deep breaths and started breathing with him and said, sometimes I like to drink my water. I'll go get your water bottle. Goes to get his water bottle, brings it back, helps this child co-regulate, co-regulates basically with this child. And then he said, you know, you're my best friend. Let's be friends. Can we go play this? And he said, thank you. I feel better. Please just don't hit me again. Beautiful. And that was probably the best example of these neurodiverse children, nonetheless, Mm -hmm. doing this independently. And I knew that they had a strong friendship. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that it was worth doing that and coming back Mm -hmm. together and trying to repair that. So I thought, man, if I could have videoed that and posted it to the world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Adults probably need to hear that too. Right. And I think we talk a lot about the skills and the expectations that kids need to have, but they can't make these mistakes and slow down and practice these skills if they don't feel safe. Yes. And the connection is how they feel safe. And we've talked a lot on the reasons and the brain wiring behind all of that. Um, And I love sharing these examples of what it actually looks like between two kids or what it looks like when you feel it with your own child. I think a lot of new parents will feel like, well, can you even communicate with the kid before they're talking? Can you connect with them before they're talking? Yes, Yes. you absolutely can. And um, there's so much about 
communication and connection that happens before we even have words. Right. And it can be such a beautiful thing to feel and to experience. The nonverbal always comes first and it probably resonates louder than the words can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I think, where all the power is, is with Mm -hmm. that nonverbal and being able to communicate that way and share that moment. And I think sometimes we can get in a rush to try to get kids through things and Mm -hmm. to another stage and, you know, check the box of things that they can do that sometimes we miss out on being present in that moment and just enjoying those moments kind of as they come along. Mm -hmm. Right. And so thinking about that preschool age, because I know we're we're here talking to parents of um, children kind of birth to kindergarten. We talked a few episodes ago about toddler behavior and Mm -hmm. what it looks like, where it comes from, why they're doing it. And those are often moments where parents struggle to maintain connection with their child. And like you were just saying, you know, the nonverbal expression of things is pretty much what we got when language is still right developing. But thinking about that preschool age and the social connections that kids start to have, I think, you know, first they start to develop with their caregivers, but then mm-hmm. they go into extended family or kids at the park or kids at, you know, preschool One of the things we're trying to talk more about on this podcast is thinking about the importance of these early years and how connected it really is to some success later on. So let's Mm -hmm. just talk about what is it about social connections at pre-K that actually will lead to some success later on? Why is it important? I think because we're learning all the foundational things at this age Mm -hmm. and you know, just like if we're building a house, we have to have that foundation strong first and firm and spend the time and effort and energy into learning how to regulate and co-regulate and understand what kids need to be doing at this certain age and stage of development. You know, play is their work. And I know Mm -hmm. that you guys are talking more about that or will be talking about Mm -hmm. that, but play is their work. And it's so important um, to understand the different stages of play and their development and their language development and what's expected at that certain age and really not forcing that, but really kind of sitting in that with them and understanding and practicing language and practicing, you know, reading body cues and talking through that with them while they're still learning that language Mm -hmm. and giving that model an example is so powerful. So powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, the example you just gave of the two boys, I know grownups that can't do that, Correct. right? Correct. So when we think about the power of practicing those social connections when you're dysregulated, when a friend has hurt you, when you've been disappointed, and being able to communicate in those moments, I mean, that's why it gives all of us chills as providers because right. we, we see... We see adults, I mean, especially teens, too, that struggle with this, but even parents that are still struggling with that skill. Well, and I think we say use your words, but we they don't they may not know the words. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> what words do I use? What words do I use? And, you know, sometimes we go back to happy, sad, mad, and we stop there. But I mm-hmm. think we can we can expand it a little bit more and talk about what it means to be disappointed when they're three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. What it means to be um, overwhelmed you know, and give them some examples of what that looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, even modeling that for yourself. And I tell parents this all the time. It feels weird when you're talking it out out loud, but that's so important for them to hear that so that they can 
they're watching, they're listening, they're mm-hmm. hearing what you're doing um, so that they too can do it. And then you can help them through those moments and give them those words. Um, it looks like you're frustrated that Johnny took your toy. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that is frustrating mm-hmm. when somebody takes something from you um, instead of share, do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, and expecting often, that. Yeah. I often describe that as um, to parents is like, give them a play by play. You're at a sporting event and you are um, the announcer and mm-hmm. you're given a play by play of, um, you know, like you were just saying, like at the park, like I see that you feel frustrated because Johnny just took your toy Let's let's see if he, you know, if we can ask him for that back. So what are what are some thoughts about how parents can help name some of those things for kids and help them build connection? Um, I think, first of all, when they're not frustrated, we've got to work on those times when you're playing, when you're in those moments, when you're living life, naming it, talking about those things, reading books, you know, and calling things out that you see and maybe you're reading. Um, it looks like so-and-so is mad in this book or that they're frustrated or that they seem lonely, what tells you that they're lonely in here? I think practicing those things when they're not upset so Mm -hmm. that when they do become upset, then they've heard that before and they can kind of start neurologically making those connections that, oh, this is not a word that I haven't heard before. Well, and they don't feel alone. Right? Right. Same team. Same, Same team. Yeah, so we're we're all we're all human. We're all having this emotional experience. Oh, I feel like that character in that story we read, or oh, I feel like my friend felt last week. And so when we have the foundation of those connections, kids will connect the dots. Basically, yes. of I'm not the only one who has ever felt upset. So it's okay. It's okay for me to feel this way. It is okay for you to feel that way, and it's okay for parents to say what they've been through and name that and call that out, so that when the time comes. Like you said, connect the dots is meaningful. Really, yeah. really meaningful. And, and going back to, you know, laying the foundation, you know, once we have that, then we can build from there. I think sometimes as parents, as teachers, as people in the community, we have really high expectations for preschoolers. And I want to say, yes, that's great to have, you know, goals and dreams and where we would like for them to be. But sometimes we just have to meet them where they are. Um, and especially during COVID, we can't look at things the same that we used to. We have to look at, you know, kids are coming in the door at our preschool classrooms or kids in our home that have maybe are three now, four years old. You know, we we have to kind of take that into consideration and say, this is where they are in their development right now. This is where I need to meet them. Yes, they probably should be here. Yes, they maybe should be doing these things, but here's where they are right now. And let's Let's work on it now and build that foundation strong mm-hmm. so that they can get all those other complex skills later. But if they don't have that strong foundation, then it's going to be difficult to build other complex skills later. Yeah, and I think we're we're seeing some of that with the limited social interactions kids got over the last couple of years. And I know parents are feeling fearful of, is my child going to catch up or be able to, in terms of social interactions, be able to, you know, interact with their peers the same way. But we also have to remember most everyone also had that experience. Yes. So adults as well. Adults adults too. So is there anything you want to share? I know that you kept working with kids Mm -hmm. through the pandemic and I did too in some capacity. I was online for a year and then 
was back in person as soon as I could because telehealth just does not work with four-year-olds. It's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, what did you notice over these last couple of years? And what would you tell parents who are worried about it? I mean, I think we have to be patient with ourselves mm-hmm. and give ourselves grace and also be patient with kids because, you know, it it was a hit for everyone, like you said. Yeah. And we have to know what we know now and move forward. Um, we can sit around and complain about it. We could worry about it and nod our hands and get stomach ulcers about it, but it's not going to be helpful. So take what you you know now, you know, we we don't know what we don't know, but take mm-hmm. what you know now about where your kid's at and what you're, you may be worried about and reach out to your tribe, you know, mm-hmm. surround yourself, have a village. If you don't have a village, reach out to someone who does have a village and how did you get connected with your village and what supports do you have in place mm-hmm. that could be helpful for you? And I guess recognizing that, you know, you have your both sides of it. You have your people who are super, super worried and anxious and tied in knots about it. And then you have people who are like, they're fine, they're fine, but really they're not fine. So how do we kind of reach both of those people? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just self-awareness and kind of knowing what's happening and that it's okay. Yeah. It's okay being not yeah. okay. That leads me to a question. It's not on the list, but we'll <laughs> we'll go there. You know, I like to wing it. You know, I like to have yes. a good conversation. I was just <laughs> sitting here thinking about um, when parents are concerned about their child's social development, whether it's related to COVID or whether it's related to a developmental need like a neurodivergence with ADHD or, or potential autism or or social anxiety. What do you want those parents to know? That's a loaded question. It's a loaded question, but let's just start with that early, that early on in that process. I know that it, it can be a lot of fear. I know that we have felt this as parents. We work with parents who feel this fear of outcomes for my child, like what's going right. to happen. Because often the social connections are the first thing we notice. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes children will have language weaknesses that lead to some social weaknesses, but often we will notice social weaknesses first and then we kind of unravel, oh, there's some skill weaknesses underneath this. And sometimes parents panic of like, what should I do? What what do I do first? And they want to do all the things or they want to do nothing. nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that um, we work with parents on that journey too, but what would you like them to know in terms of just thinking about what your child's social skills are and and just, like you said, meeting them where they are? Yeah, I think, what can they do? Let's unpack that. What can they do well and start there? So if they are, you know, behaviors, communication, that's mm-hmm. my favorite thing to say. They're trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. So let's get curious. I love when you say that. Yeah. I love when you say it. It doesn't sound great when I say it, but get curious about it as to, why there's a function behind that. Mm -hmm. Why is that behavior happening? And what are they trying to say to us? It's either an unmet need or it's some kind of gap in their skill set. And so let's look at that, right? And Mm -hmm. what are they trying to say? And I think it really is a perspective shift of, you know, trying to get, I mean, I'm going on a behavior tangent now, but what are they trying to say? Because a lot of kids that I work with and that you work with, mm-hmm. um, behavior is a big thing. Right. And it gets so in the way of connection. It gets in the way of connection. And so how do we get this behavior under control? Um, and it's really about finding out what they need to say, mm-hmm. what need needs to be met, or what skill needs to be taught. Right. And I think that's a shift 
in our way of thinking as parents and as teachers mm-hmm. because we want compliance and we right. want kids to do well or have a good day. And what does that, what does a good day look like, right? That they did everything and everything, everybody was happy. And I think redefining that good day is a great place to start. It is a great place to start. And that, you know, your good day and my good day might look real different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And celebrating that my baby step in being able to communicate. And maybe I didn't hit people 10 times today. Maybe I just hit people six times today. I mean, yeah, we want zero, but let's celebrate that. Mm-hmm. We're moving in the right direction. We're moving in the I right direction. I sometimes share with parents um, if their child is, you know, really struggling with emotional regulation and, and you know, impulse control paired with anger is often how this comes out. And, you know, if a child is, this may be an older child, it could be a preschooler, but will, you know, is, is shouting things verbally instead of hitting and parents are just distraught about my child is so, you know, so rude to me. They're shouting these yes. things. And I'm like, but hey, verbal is moving in the right direction from physical. So we are on the right path. And everyone that I say that to is like, if you say so. But it doesn't I'm, feel good. It does not feel good. But but if you can control your body, but not yet control your words, you are moving along and being able yes. to emotionally regulate. And all of those things come before our ability to initiate communication. Right. So right. The, when we have a strong communi- um, a, a strong connection and we are, um, that can be like the container. I always think of the connection as the container. Yes. The relationship is the container for the child to be within and feeling all the feelings. When a child is able to stay regulated, they can then initiate communication and connection yes. with us. And I always say, I love that, you know, we have to move in the right direction. And when we're looking at preschools and places to put our children and that they need to have a person and that teacher Mm -hmm. needs to be on the same team instead of, yes, they are an authoritative figure and we have to teach them all the things, but it's super important for them to be able to be on that same team and meet that kid where they are and that not all three, four and five-year-olds are going to be compliant sitting at the table doing the same thing at the same time. That's an unrealistic expectation that we have. And so then that's where disappointment lives in us mm-hmm. is that we're like, well, gosh, this kid's, you know, not doing these things. Well, sometimes we have to step back and go, well, what can I control, mm-hmm. right? And so I would say that too to parents is like, you know, what can you control, you yourself, your environment, your tone, what you say, the time that you give, all of that's going to play a piece in it. And I know, you know, reaching out to other resources in the community is absolutely helpful, but not the fix, right? It's not the fix. So sending your child to PT, OT, speech, um, a therapist, social skills group, swimming, equine therapy, all the things are wonderful things, Mm -hmm. but we have to make sure that it's a good fit and Mm -hmm. it's meeting them where they are. And I always like to, my girls always tell me this, my teachers always say, you use that word too much, but it helps me think about triage, What's mm-hmm. the most important right now? Mm-hmm. And let's look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to fix 17 things, but we can't. Well, so and I've talked, you've important. probably heard me talk before about, and I've written about this before, but there is such a thing as too many therapies. Too many. Because just like too many extracurricular activities, there we can overwhelm our families and our child's energy level. 
and there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet yes. spot of enough therapies that I feel connected to my therapists and I feel connected to my teachers and my family, but I'm not stressed because when we're stressed, we can't learn. Correct. Right. And I will sometimes um, share with families, you know, therapies are wonderful and they're wonderful for skills. But then this is something that Miss um, Chris and I talk a lot about because I will work with kids one-on-one -on -one in my practice and then when they've learned the skills and they're playing really great one-on-one -on -one with me, I will tell them it is time to take the show on the road and we're now going to try it out in a group. Yes. And so when we talk about building connections with the group, it's a whole different ball game. Ball game, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about the confidence needed, the emotional regulation needed. Of course, there's, you know, skills like communication and motor skills, but then there's flexibility and there's interests and all those things. So let's talk a little bit about when that jump in development and in just practice that has to happen for some kids between playing one-on-one -on -one with a parent or a preferred friend or preferred classmate and then putting it into a group. It is always fun to watch. <laughs> what do you see? It is always fun to watch. And I think about even in our preschool groups and thinking about our preschoolers now, there's so many different needs, which is why we have so many different group preschool groups. Um, and we always try to place fit kids in a, in a good fit group to get what they need because some kids really need a big language push. Mm -hmm. So in, in order to understand their environment and their peers, they need to have that language to be able to use, to understand and use language with that set of props, with those peers, what they're doing. And so we do a lot of language work within a group, but just even being able to be a part of a group and notice people in your in your space and how do I manage that? Uh, management is a big piece of all of it. Um, and we think, oh, how can three, four and five-year-olds manage it? Well, we have to teach it. We have mm -hmm. to model it and give them opportunities to practice and win and practice and fail, and how do we move through that? And so um, regulation is a big piece of it, you know, having them notice other people around them, um, really understanding what play looks like with other people. And we don't force kids to share. <laughs> I mean, I may not want to share all my things with you, Miss mm -hmm. Emily, and I love you, Dr. Emily, <laughs> um, but I think uh, we we can have them say no and be confident mm -hmm. in that. But if it's no, 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 we can say, I've noticed you've said no a lot, you know, with these things. Um, you know, that feels, they're very disappointed about you saying no every time. Mm -hmm. And we, and they want to be your friend. Mm -hmm. So how can we, how can we help this um, and maybe try it out? And so having a small group of kids and practicing that very intentionally and uh, methodically, <laughs> Um, impatiently mm -hmm. um, because they're they're going to fail. And I think it's okay if you don't get the response you like mm -hmm. the first time. That's experience. That's social experience. And and they have to know. And if we just make it right all the time and make them feel good, mm -hmm. they're when they go out into the wild, right, mm -hmm. preschool, school, whatever it is, and that feeling happens or that um, event happens, and they don't have the skills to deal with it or problem solve or navigate it, then we haven't done what, you know, we've just built compliance, right? And, 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 and they, happiness. And right. that's not 
And they won't know how to respond to that feeling of anxiety they're going to get when something doesn't go well and they don't have the skills to do the thing. They're going to have anxiety. And the ways that we help them solve that are hopefully having a strong connection and relationship with the child if it's happening at school, so the the teacher-child relationship, or it's happening at home, the parent-child relationship, and then They've got to have the skills or at least the relationship to watch and trust the adult to model it. Right, right. Being able to model, practice, and then reinforce mm-hmm. is is kind of the model that, that we use is that we have to model the skills first. And what does that mean? What is the skill that we want them um, to see, whether that's joining someone in play or whether that's initiating play or whether that's problem solving, whatever the child is ready for, Mm -hmm. um, that we have to model that, let them practice it a little bit. And then we set up, you know, environments and and places for them to practice that and then reinforce. And we have to do that quickly and give them feedback. One thing I wanted to say about space, and I talk to the teachers all the time about this and parents all the time about space. When you give kids a lot of space, you're letting them know that you trust them with everything Mm -hmm. they're going to do in that space. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> and when you, and then we say, oh, stop that. Give them back to him from afar. But you've given them permission with that big old giant space to make that decision. So we have to start small and give them little space, practice, reinforce, and then back our way up. And I just had this conversation yesterday with a, a parent about play dates. Mm. I, let's talk about play dates. I love a play date. Play dates are great. Start small. 30 minutes. Maybe. Maybe. maybe not even. Maybe, depending on the level <laughs> of your child's um, abilities. But like if they're having a hard time within the first to 15 minutes, then we got to have a good 15 minutes, then 30, then 45, then an hour. And then does it ever really need to be over an hour? I mean. For preschool. For preschool, I would not. Right. I think it's more for the moms. I'm whispering like I'm telling you a secret. I think it's more for the moms to get together and go, girl. Right. And yes, we need that community and we need that support, but you will get to that point. I promise you. Mm -hmm. Mama out there, I know you're listening to me right now. You will get to the point where you can sit on your porch and say, this is such a good day. I love sitting here and drinking my Diet Coke with you and watching your kids play in the backyard, that will come, mm-hmm. that dream of what you think it should look like. Mm-hmm. But if your kid's having a hard time and managing their emotions and being able to communicate and not really knowing how to play with other kids, you have to be nearby. Right. And that we got to let go of what other people might think of us mm-hmm. at that moment. We have to let go of our own fears because that they are going to smell it. On you, <laughs> they absorb, and they will take advantage they absorb of that. Our fear, and so mm-hmm. we need to um, give them some positive experiences and small little bites that are digestible for them, so that eventually you might be able to serve the whole meal and have a whole hour mm-hmm. of a of a play day with your girlfriend on the back porch, and it will come. But we just have mm-hmm. to start small, particularly with our neurodiverse learners. Yeah, that we parents are so 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 wanting to connect and have friendships. Mm-hmm. And that's important. I want you to do those things, but we have to start small. And I think just advocating for that right off the bat to say, hey, Emily, I really want to have a play date. 
but here's some boundaries. Here's mm-hmm. some things that I'm kind of working with mm-hmm. Julia on. Yeah, so, this is what my child can do. This is what's fun for them. And I think then that's okay. 20, 20 minutes, we're out. We're and out. I really want and I love to you. chat with you another time, but not when the kids are with us. Yeah. Not when. And we have to be intentional about that time mm-hmm. too and plan it. Mm-hmm. And this conversation reminds me of how I talk to parents about travel, which is a little bit of a tangent, but similar. You have to teach kids how to travel. You have to teach them the the structure of the plan and the packing and the rules and all these different places and mm-hmm. and all these things. We can't just be like, okay, we're going on a trip to Europe and they don't know the rules of all these things. We have to sometimes teach young kids how to do a play date. Like this other family is, is you're traveling to their house. This other family might have rules yes. that are a little bit different. Not not probably a lot different, but they might not take food upstairs or they might have rules about their pet or you might need to, you know, ask for, I don't know, some something before you get it out of the pantry. Mm-hmm. So these are all family rules that are good for kids to see variability in how other families kind of run their home. Yes. And those are good things, but we have to teach all this stuff. And young, young kids are sometimes just oblivious to all those things and they're just playing and doing what they want to. I think sometimes we think kids just watch and observe and learn and there are some kids that are like that, but many, 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 and then we pour COVID on top of it. We have to teach this. We have to mm-hmm. make it a priority. Um, so if you want to help and you want to do something for your kid, you you may not necessarily need to teach them or, or need to take them to therapy. Maybe they do need therapy. Maybe they do need practice or speech therapy or OT, but they may just need you to practice play dates with them. Mm-hmm. I talked to a mom the other day who we can't get her kid into social group. We have a wait list, but I was able to empower her to say, you can do a social group at your house. Yeah. You can do this with your, you already have a connection with your neighbor. You already um, know that they can last a certain amount of time together. Here's some things that you can say. Here's some things that you could do to kind of intervene using words like, I notice, or I see that you, or wow, look what you did. That was awesome. Or look how your friend responded and and because you did that notice and then thank you so much and then we'll put a bow on it and get out but that is a successful experience for you it's a successful mm-hmm. experience for the friend and it's a successful experience for that child and going back to teaching kids i mean we've got to we've got to p- spend time to play with our kids and i'm speaking to myself in this when i was you know raising my two i have a 20 and a um almost 18-year-old, is we have to teach kids how to play. And that might mean putting the phone down, shutting the computer down, don't make another work call, don't do one more thing, take the time to get down on the floor, go outside, take the bike ride, get dirty, um, make the meal together is so, 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 so important in the social development to build trust with adults, mm-hmm. to build language, to um, understand functional play with toys and things. Um, you know, we see a lot of kids just don't know how to play functionally. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad thing. We can teach them how to do that. But I think reinforcing that at home um, and giving those experiences, they're going to learn how to read. They're going to learn how to write. They're going to learn how to do math. But right now they're not writing checks. And right now they're not, you know, they don't need to um, have a dissertation. 
read books to your kid, mm-hmm. play dolls, play dinosaurs, get involved in, in their interest. That's such a big component because then they're going to want to share that with someone else and their friends. Mm-hmm. And they want to you want to talk about confidence. They need to feel yeah. confident in that play to allow someone else to come in to share that space with. Right. So speaking of reading, I probably, uh, you probably noticed I worked in a reading comprehension you question. Did. You I did. did. Thank you. I did. That Thank one you. was um, extra credit. I had to dig deep and find my level for thinking about this, but so I did. <laughs> this is one of the things I am just really passionate about and have kind of always wanted to ask Chris this. Sure. So as a child psychologist and listening to all of the discussions around standardized testing when they get to third grade and all these ways we measure reading. For everyone listening, who's probably a preschool parent, yes, the way that we measure reading standardized-wise is through what did you understand from the story, mm-hmm. which is reading comprehension. Not your ability to actually read or how fast you read, but what you understood from the story. So just know that any standardized reading test your child ever takes is not actually testing reading ability, but is testing reading comprehension ability. What'd you get from it? Which, of course, you have to know how to read to do that. But I have worked with so many kids who struggle with social skills in pre-K years and then go on to have reading weaknesses. And in my mind, thinking about cognitive development and thinking about social connections kids make, if you struggle to make social connections in real life with your playmates and with your play when you're young, it makes sense to me that you would struggle to make connections with characters and in stories. So there's so much of a connection here, I think. And again, I just, I think we're still learning about a lot of this and we're still learning what's going on in in child development with, with reading comprehension. But I just want to hear what comes to your mind in terms of the social connections you see and um, how these kids gain that confidence and can make social predictions. Because comprehension is really about making well, predictions. Well, it's understanding. It's the ability to, like, understand your environment and the people who are in it and what they're doing right. and make sense of it and drawing conclusions and, you know, con- connecting the dots, right. right? And so if you have a hard time reading people in real time, under reading the room in real time, mm-hmm. knowing what words mean and actions mean and, you know, the ability to be able to engage in whatever activity, whether it's play or hanging out or and what those implications are. Of course, if you read a passage or a story that has characters doing something, sometimes it's hard to pick up on tone and mm-hmm. it's hard to pick up on, well, you know, using my context clues, you know, they talk about, you know, use mm-hmm. your context clues. Well, if I'm not really good at picking up context clues in real life, it's really going to be hard for me to pick it up in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we draw that's that where, from. Right. We draw our expertise in from our own experience, building it from what we've done before. Yeah. So the work that we do with young children and building up social play and connection has ripple effects to what they understand what they're understanding around them, and then what they're reading in stories later. And and standardized tests are important to measure progress. 
just know that they're limited like everything else. That's right. And there are ways that we can think about if there's a comprehension weakness, there's also something that we can probably do socially to support a child. Correct. So what is one thing you want parents of preschool children to understand about social skills and connections? There's so many things. And I think we've talked about a lot of them. Play is very important. Celebrating the small things. But one thing that I wrote down was big things are big to little people. Yeah. And understanding that we have our agendas of where we think they should be and understanding. And maybe we think, oh, this is just not a big deal. Well, to us as older, experienced, seasoned people in life, right? We've been on this planet for 40-ish years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or 50 years or 60 years or however long, however old you are. But these little people have been on this planet for three, four, and five years. <laughs> right. And someone taking something from them is a big deal. Their play is their work. It's a 40-hour work week for them. They are exhausted when they get home from school, preschool. They are exhausted after a play date. And I think being able to be responsive to those needs is really, really important. And to kind of put yourself in those in their shoes of getting on their level and saying, oh, this must have been really, really hard for you today. Like this, this was a really long day for you. Well, a really long day for an adult might be eight hours. But if your kid goes to a half day preschool, or maybe they go for six hours, that's a long day. And so they may not be able to tell you about their day mm -hmm. because they are tanked. And so it doesn't mean that they need speech therapy and that they are not, you know, <laughs> retrieving information. They're tired. They've they've put in a 40-hour work week and they're exhausted, mm -hmm. um, you know, but being responsive to their needs. Maybe they need a snack first. Maybe they just need to not be asked 17 questions, you know, when they get into the car. Because think about what we like, right? If I work a 40-hour work week, the last thing I want is somebody wanting me to recap my day mm -hmm. play by play. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want sometimes as preschool parents, Yeah, um, a play by play. And so I would say big things are big things to little people. And so celebrate those things, mm -hmm. understand, be empathetic during those moments of sadness, frustration, anger, because we want someone to be that with us. So we need to be that for our littles. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Emily. Well, thank you for being here, Miss Chris. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Raising Young Children in Wake County, brought to you by the Project Enlightenment Foundation, which you can find at projectenlightenmentfoundation.org. We would love for you to subscribe to this show and share it with your friends and fellow parents. We're all in this together, and we hope we can make a difference in the lives of parents and children. Thanks to KNL Gates, a global law firm with offices in Raleigh and RTP, for their generous contribution to make this podcast happen. Thank you to our sponsors, the Empire Gives Back Foundation and Empire Eats, which includes the downtown Raleigh restaurants, City, Gravy, Raleigh Times, Mecca, and the Pit Authentic Barbecue, bringing great food to the community as well as supporting local causes, especially those that touch the lives of children. Thanks to BHDP, an award-winning international architectural firm, which is recognized for intelligent, innovative, and inspiring design solutions in architecture, planning, and interior design. 
This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we'll see you again soon on Raising Young Children in Wake County.